The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome back to the Tuesday episode of Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander, and right across from me is the one, the only, the hair-pulled back Sasquatch herself, Tammy, the Tam Tam Underwood. Say hi, Tam. Hi, everybody. All right. You got a two-for-Tuesday for me, and John and Lavinia I Fisher. I have a twisted Tuesday for you. I can you. tell. They sound like a killer couple. You know what the thing is, though, about this one? Is that there's there's legend... There's fact, and there's something in between. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the legend. I'm going to give you what people say is the fact, and then I'm going to tie it all together for you. Okay? And um, let's see. Let's see. When you hear my introduction, you might wonder if I'm writing up a presentation for a supernatural tale, like, you know, fucking paranormal activity. However, if you Is bear it like with me for a moment. Huh? Is it like watching Supernatural? I've never seen that. You haven't seen? Oh, my God. I've never even seen paranormal activity. I've never seen that one because the camera moves too much. It makes me sick. Yeah, it's, that's why I couldn't watch Blair Rich. Started yeah. watching it and it kind of like made me nauseous. Actually, I got a story. Uh, there, there was a movie that came out. This was when I was still dating uh, Autumn, four score and a million, million years ago. You're that old? Yeah. And uh, it was called Quarantine. And it looked, it's an awesome horror movie. It looked awesome. We got there and it's done first person. So the camera moves a lot from a cameraman. Mm-hmm. I couldn't watch it. It sounded great, but it made me sick. Yeah. That's gross. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, like, get on with your like tail. Chunk in Goonies when he talks about throwing up over the side of the balcony. Yeah, kind of. He's gross. Anyways, however, if you bear with me, you'll find out why I'm featuring this case today. Mainly because it appealed to two distinct passions I have. One, my passion for serial killers, which we all know. And two, being a hooker. That's not a passion, Scott. That's something you forced me to do. Back at the truck stop. I'm not a lot lizard, bitch. Look clear. Lizardzilla. <laughs> Anyways, the second is my passion for all things supernatural and paranormal. Love it. As it turns out, the case of Johnny and Lavinia Fisher fits nicely into both. Now, this story came to my attention some time ago, but it started many, many years before I was, I was even a glimmer in my dad's eye. <laughs> right? This case did, not my attention. Anyways, Charleston. South, picture it. Charleston, South Carolina. South Carolina. Go for it. South Carolina was caught off guard in 1886 when a sudden earthquake trembled beneath the city. This quake hit with no warning because up until that point, that area in the south had never had a history of seismic activity. The deadly quake killed approximately 60 residents and resulted in several million dollars worth of damage to structures around the city, which back in the 1800s, that's a lot of shit ton of damage. Godzilla. Godzilla went there. That's the only explanation right there. Godzilla before he attacked before he attacked Tokyo. Godzilla. 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 Attacked South Carolina. <laughs> South Carolina. Now, let's see here. One such building was the Charleston County Jail, or what's now called the Old City Jail. And then we all ran free. According to town legend, when the quake damaged the jail, it released Charleston's most infamous citizen spirit. From the bowels of hell. 
Nice. Yeah, I want to go there so bad. People get scratched in every. You want to go to hell? No, I want to go to Old City Jail and tour it. Because I'm already there. I know you are. I work with you. <laughs> ow. Love you, Tam Tam. No, ow. <laughs> I don't know how I recover from that. I'll get on. I'll with hold a, on. With with spit and lube. No, with my willpower and my strong fortitude, intestinal Hallelujah, fortitude. Sing your sister. Praise the Lord. It's okay. I will prevail. Anyways, uh, that citizen was none other than Lavinia Fisher herself. And she's more commonly referred to as America's very first serial killer. Female serial killer, excuse me. If the legend is true, her malevolent spirit now roams the dilapidated jail in search of more victims. Or actually the whole area now, because it was let out. But really, who is Lavinia Fisher? Was she really the first female serial killer in the history of America? Or was the tale of Lavinia blown out of proportion by the townspeople over the decades? I'll let you decide. Ready? Aye. Part one. John and Lavinia, the legend. Now, as I have so often found to be the issue with cases from the 19th century or before, there's very little information about the early life of Lavinia Fisher. I did find out that she was born sometime in 1793. However, there are limited details about her life prior to Nine, uh, 1819, excuse me. Um, here's what we do know. At some point, Lavinia married John Fisher. After they tied the knot, they purchased a home outside of Charleston, South Carolina. And, oh my God, I'm so thank you. The house was located <laughs> approximately six miles outside of the city, and they transformed it into a hotel. And they named that hotel the Six Mile Wafer House due to its location. Because it was over yonder. It was, yeah, it was about six miles over yonder. Mm, over yonder. Yeah, take a left at the tree. When you Nobody. hear a banjo, turn around. Nobody, God dang, takes a left at the tree. Everybody knows that you take a left at the rock. You go up, oh, I don't know, about a beer and a half, and then you take a right. A beer and a half? Yeah, it takes about a beer and a half to get up to oh, the right. Okay, I get it. And then you go down that road a little bit, and you're going to see it. It's a, it's a purple house on the right-hand side. Now, not the purple barn on the left-hand side, because that's the old Johnson place, and they're cow bites. Like hard. She bitey. Very body. Very body. And then if you hear a banjo, do you keep going or turn around? You go oh, too no. far. You keep on going down to the river. Squeal like a piggy, boy. I hate you. I love it when South comes out of you. You just don't even know. Now, let's see. Even though the Fisher's Wayfarer house was six whole miles away from the bustling town, the two prop proprietors were both well-liked and well-known by area residents. Therefore, it wasn't hard for them to obtain lodgers, as word of mouth has always been the best advertisement. I love word of mouth. Especially when it goes, oh, 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 don't talk with your mouthful. Can I continue? Yeah, I suppose. Okay, thank you. You keep telling me, hurry up, we're on time crunch, and then you keep talking. Let's see. In almost all the reports that I read, Lavinia described, was described as a very beautiful woman who was widely known for her charm. She and John were very sociable and often sat down for dinner with their hotel guests. Sometimes they would entertain their patrons well into the evening. With a banjo. Due to the Fisher's unwavering popularity, they weren't even suspected when the reports about missing travelers began to surface. However, that fact would soon change. Sometime during February... 
1819, the residents of Charleston were hearing more and more tales about missing or dead travelers who had passed through the area. When they really began listening to the stories, they realized that the majority of those who were reported missing were last reported checking into the Fisher Hotel, the Fisher's Hotel. Once the townspeople made this link, they they formed a posse and rode out to the Wayfarer house. Dude, shut up. You can't form them. Rough Riders, mount up. (laughs) Head him up, move him out, raw hide. (laughs) Shut up. Mm, Let's see. Oh, there I am. Let's see. Um, When they arrived to confront John and Lavinia, the Fishers let the mob in to search the premises. The angry (laughs) residents couldn't find any evidence to substantiate their accusations, so they left. Well, most of them did. One man by the name of David Ross stayed behind in order to keep an eye on the hotel proprietors and to make sure they were on the up and up. Wait a minute. Did he wear a patch? Do you only have one eye to keep one eye on them? Because me, I'd keep both my eyes on them. You can't trust them. They sound all shady already. I'm glad you didn't go the other direction I thought you were going to go. <laughs> no, because I was thinking, I thought you were going to say, is he related to Bob Ross? But you didn't. No. I, I like Bob Ross. I, I liked Bob him before Ross. he kicked the bucket. Well, yeah. But I wanted his chia pet head. I wanted his afro. The happy little tree and that. I know no. I do not know any other white man that has a huge afro like that. I painted my penis once. I said, "Here's a happy little smile. That's a happy little penis." And every penis needs a friend, so he's got two nuts for friends. He's like a squirrel. You are so trailer trash right now. <laughs> Anyways, according to this version. David was still keeping an eye on the hotel the next morning when he but was attacked. But he had attacked. two. We got to tell up. everybody, y'all, he had two. When he was attacked. Apparently, a bunch of men snuck up on him and brutally beat him. After the men had bloodied up David's face, he squinted through the blood and noticed that Lavinia was walking towards him. David thought his attack was random, and when he slawed Lavinia, he thought she was there to help. However, he couldn't have been more wrong. She may have been there to offer assistance, but he wasn't the one she was assisting. It's said that when Lavinia walked up to David, she wrapped her fingers around his neck, around his throat and tried to choke him. When that didn't work, he looked up and said, I'm into that. (laughs) When that didn't work, she broke a window with his face, which is what I'd like to do with you right now. God damn. I like her. However, David still didn't die. He managed to get away from his attackers. Once David was able to evade the group of people who were attacking him, he managed to make his way back to the city. He went straight to the sheriff's office and reported the assault. However, once the authorities heard the story, they didn't believe a word of it. Now, after all, the Fishers were upstanding citizens and well-loved business proprietors. They would, they would, why would they bother throwing everything they had away just to attack some, someone randomly? Law enforcement started to change their tune two days later. The following day... From when David was attacked, John Peoples, that's right, Peoples, was passing through on his way from Georgia, and he wanted a place to stay for the evening where he could also grab a warm meal. So he went to the six-mile wafer house. As soon as he entered, Lavinia was there to greet him. When he told her he wanted a room and board for the night, she said she had a meal, but there were no rooms available. As they had done many times in the past, when John, John Peoples sat down for dinner, the Fishers joined him. 
In order to make conversation, the host inundated their guest with questions, each one more personal than the last. After a while, Lavinia excused herself to brew tea for the three of them. Do you like being choked? How about spanking? You like that? Have you ever worn a gimp mask? I have a ball gag. No, I understand the questions. Been there. Yeah. We're good. You've had those yourself? You have a questionnaire you send out to everybody? Hey, every time I have sex with a chick, I always give a questionnaire. And it, it, it's important questions like, was I really attentive to your needs? Do oh, you this is t- afterwards. Yeah. Do you, did, did I perform, you know, on a scale of 110, how did, how did I perform? Would you recommend me to a friend? You know, important things. If so, list their names below, addresses, phone numbers, ages. Grab one of my business cards on your way out. <laughs> Do you need cab and here's fare? 20. <laughs> here's 20 bucks. Grab a cab. Buy yourself something pretty. Here, here's 20 bucks for gas. <laughs> Let's see here. That was 50 wrong. if they're real good. That was wrong. <laughs> um, let's see. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, upon her return, she told John that miraculously one of their rooms had suddenly become available. With the last with that bit of good news, Lavinia poured John a cup of tea and they continued their conversation. <clears throat> What she wasn't aware of was the fact that John couldn't stand the taste of tea. So when her back was bagging. turned, huh? Bagging. Shut up. The taste so of when, tea bagging. When her back was turned, he mounted her. He dumped the tea out. Oh. <laughs> when Lavinia realized that John's cup was empty, she assumed he had finished drinking it. That's when she led him to his room and said her good nights. John, on the other hand, had become quite suspicious of his gracious host. He had become leery of her personal questions, and then sudden, then the sudden availability of the room literally put him on edge. For some reason, he didn't feel as if he could trust Lavinia and her husband, John. So when she left the room, rather than crawl into bed, he decided it would be best if he stayed awake. So he sat in a chair where he could keep an eye on the door rather than laying in bed with his back to it. Shut up, Scott. Another one-eyed man. God damn. Well, that's what happens when you're in the South. Now everybody wears patches. His new name is Patches. Within a few hours, he had actually started to doze off while still sitting in the chair. Suddenly, he was jolted awake when he heard a very loud bang from somewhere in his room. Obviously terrified, he jumped up to see who had slammed through the door, only to find out it was still closed and locked. Confused, he slowly looked around and realized with horror what had happened. The loud noise happened when a trap door in the floor beneath the bed sprang and everything fell through to the pit below. Realizing he had a reason to be leery from the beginning, he didn't even bother re- running down the stairs. He just jumped out of the window, jumped on his horse, and galloped into town looking for the authorities. Now that the authorities had two reports of suspicious behavior out of six miles away for her house, they decided it was time to bring the Fishers in. The police rode out to the hotel to arrest John and Lavinia. While they were there, they also arrested two of the Fishers' accomplices. After the four individuals were out of the establishment, law enforcement began their search and uncovered more than what they bargained for. According to the legend, when the investigation was complete, they had a clearer picture of what transpired behind closed doors at the hotel. As travelers passed through Charleston, they often stopped by the hotel to rest and grab a meal. While they sat down for dinner, John and Lavinia would join them in an effort to make them feel welcome and to let them feel safe in their house. And offer ball gags and choking services. No, I'm I'm digging. Let's see what they're about now. Okay, you know what? Sometimes I hate you. (laughs) And then other times I know I hate you. (laughs) 
Anyways. Um, after getting to know their new guests, if John and Lavinia were satisfied the individual was worth stealing from, they would put their plan into action. Lavinia would always find a way to excuse herself from the table on the pretense of preparing their after dinner tea. Now, um, however, the guest's cup of tea would have a little something, something extra in it. No, she wasn't a basic bitch. Okay. It wasn't arsenic, nor was it cyanide. Okay. It was oleander, which is a highly poisonous plant. It is? Yes. No, I honestly, I may have heard about that before, but yeah. I don't remember. It's very, very then highly, highly. Why the fuck do grow oleanders in their fucking yard? They don't ingest them. You're not supposed, oh, that may have been why I wound up in the hospital that time. Okay, no, I'm good now. It wasn't shroom, Scott. It was oleander. God damn it. It's Anyways. Something. Lavinia would add just enough oleander to the tea leaves so that their new guest would become slightly dizzy and a little confused. When that occurred, she would proceed um, (laughs) to show them to their room because she knew that shortly after she left, they would be crawling into bed for the night because, you know, they're tired, they're dizzy, you know, whatever. No, I dig, yeah. Yeah. Once John and Lavinia were sure their guest was tucked firmly into their bed for the night, John would set about doing his part. He would go down into the basement where he was able to release the trapdoor. The trapdoor was set up beneath the bed, and when the door was triggered, the victim would fall through to the hidden room, bed and all, into the basement. After the victim fell through... All of their possessions would be stolen, and then they would be brutally beaten to death. Okay, number one, they're stupid. You go through a lot of beds if it's bed and all going down there. You nail that shit to the trap door. It falls. All you get that that goes that, that should go in is maybe the mattress. Okay, and this is eighteen like hundreds. It's probably just a fucking hay filled pallet. Still ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculous. God damn it. Get your shit together, goddammit, Fishers. Get your shit together. Do this right. Look, we were impressed that you didn't use arsenic or cyanide. Now I'm pissed off because you wasted so many beds. Look, look, talk to Tammy. She already showed me how to build a catapult so I can launch my neighbor's kid like forever in a day, which works great, by the way. They'll never find trajectory. They'll never find that kid now. Ever. I'm pretty sure that kid's like in the ocean. It's fantastic. So the specs work I gave you? They work awesome. She can teach you though how to make the right fucking trap door so when it drops you don't ruin a bed body goes down nice little it's all landing. about plane and yeah yeah angles. yeah it is. Ah, dang man kind of like pool. Shooting her. Shooting pool pocket pool no dude no right ball corner pocket <laughs> two cushion unless you're my friend you it and then it's like no right ball <laughs> sorry dan not not my best friend's husband. <laughs> Speaking of Dan. Be nice. He's taking care of his sick wife. Dan, thank you for taking care of her best friend. You box wine drinking, trailer park living, dude. Beaver loving. Beaver as loving. in beaver, organ beavers, <laughs> not as in. Everybody loves a little beaver. I'm talking about organ beavers. <laughs> that reminds me, I need to go shopping. Because... My new nephew's going to be born soon, and then my best friend's stepson is having a, ch- a son soon. And everybody who has a kid, even if they're just pseudo-family, gets an organ duct onesie for their baby when they're born. I was going to buy him a little tech kit. That way there he could start practicing so he could fix all my electronics, but okay. Going to get him one of those fucking, ow, oh, my arm hurts so We fixed you a long time. I want the fry rye. Yeah, keep talking. 
What do you want me to talk about? So she's digging through her box right now. I'm looking for some of my naproxen because my ha- arm is cramping. Like she, cramping. she has her hand deep in her box. That's not right. Pretty sure that's a felony if you do that in Stop public. telling people what I do with my own box on my own time. <laughs> I can't help it. You like to watch. By the way, if you need naproxen, I have some in my bag. I got some right here. Okay. Thank you, though. As long as you're good. Oh, I even have a swallow. <laughs> I stopped because, you know, Jake said, give me a minute to get me some water. And, you know, our intern is slacking. I didn't say shit. Everybody got the joke. I didn't even have to say it. I I'm, I'm impressed. The fucking room just, like, lit up and laughed. Have I mentioned how much I love my staff? You have I what? mentioned that? You, we don't even have a red light in the corner that says applause and laughter. <laughs> but, yeah. Thank you, intern. Uh, let's see here. Thank you. Okay. So, at oh, there. according to some reports, while the authorities were conducting their search, they found a plethora of items the travelers would have been carrying with them. Then, the further they got into the basement, they started finding the bodies. The reports I read in regards to this legend... Uh, regarding this version of the Fisher story indicated that law enforcement officials discovered well over 100 bodies, each one in various stages of decomp. Why are you taking a picture of me? For uh, a friend. I hate you. Who? What? 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 Shut up, Jake. <laughs> Look. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Um, let's see. Thank you. Uh, each one in various stages of decomp, including many that were just skeletal remains. Now, <laughs> it was clear evidence that John and Lavinia Fisher had been responsible for the missing travelers for many years. Law enforcement officials wasted no time arresting and charging John and Lavinia and their two accomplices for murder. Their group was hauled into Charleston and thrown in the Charleston County or Old City Jail. After their trial, John and Lavinia were both sentenced to hang for their crimes. Now, during that era, fun fact, look, not side note, fun fact, during that era, the government could not execute a married woman. Therefore, when the judge passed down her sentence, Lavinia brought this up and said, you can't execute me, I'm married. He must have been prepared for this because (laughs) he said to her, that he would just execute her husband first. After all, there's not a law prohibiting them from executing a widow. I saw where that was going. Yeah. I like that judge. Yeah, me too. Judge in the afterlife, thank you, because that's pretty badass right there. This buds for you. You should be here in this day and age killing off motherfuckers like the one that we did yesterday. Just saying. Right. So Lavinia wasn't satisfied with the response the judge gave her, so she appealed to the governor. Surely he wouldn't allow them to hang a woman. She again would be denied. However, she managed to have one more trick up her sleeve. Since she couldn't appeal to their sympathetic side, she decided she would take matters into her own hands. While John and Lavinia were in jail, they were housed in the same cell. On September 13, 1819, they set about carrying out their plan. They had fashioned a rope out of torn bed sheets, and they were planning on using that to escape from the jail. Apparently, John was not a true gentleman because he decided he would shimmy down the rope first. He managed to make it to the ground with ease. However, right before she took Lavinia took her turn, the sheets came apart. In the commotion, no sheet, no sheet. If you sheet me not, I sheet you not. Well, I just be, for sheets and giggles. I would have been scared sheetless. 
to be honest. You know, yeah, me too. Anyways, fuck off. In the commotion, the jail officials were able to apprehend John quickly. With him safely back in custody, he and his wife were placed in separate, more secure cells to await their execution. A little over four months later, on February 18, 1820, the fishers were led to the gallows to be executed. Prior to their day of reckoning, John sought the guidance of a minister several times, and it's even reported that he repented for his transgressions against society. As far as Lavinia was concerned, every time the minister came to her cell, she refused to acknowledge his presence. According to reports on the day of the Fisher's execution, there were at least 2,000 people there to witness the two killers swing from the end of a rope. On the day of her execution, Lavinia made sure that she would be allowed to wear her wedding dress to the gallows. However, once she had the white dress on, she refused to leave her cell. John walked calmly up the stairs, stopping right under the noose with a minister giving him his last rites along the way. Lavinia, on the other hand, had to be drug up the steps to the gallows, kicking and screaming out profanity the whole way there. As the judge had ordered, John Fisher was the first to hang. The executioner placed the noose around his neck as he calmly stood there awaiting his fate. Lavinia took a different tactic. When the executioner placed the rope around her neck, she looked out at everybody, yelled out to the gathered crowd, if you have a message you want to send to hell, give it to me. I'll carry it. Sweet. Yeah. Then Lavinia didn't even bother to wait for the trap door to spring open. She ran and jumped off the side of the scaffolding, dying quickly as she stared out over the crowd. She's Every- related to she must be related to fucking Pansram. Yeah, well, no, he said oh, Hurry up, right. you Hoosier bastards. I can kill ten men waiting for you. <laughs> While you're screwing around. Excuse me. I gotta get it right. Um let's see here. Dying quickly as she stared out over the crowd. Everyone who witnessed her death, according to the legend here, later reported that when she died, it was with a sinister stare frozen on her face, and she was only 27 years old. That's a fact. She was only 27. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. (laughs) My son says I sound like the Wicked Witch of the West when I laugh. I didn't want to say anything, but like the Wicked Sasquatch of the Pacific Northwest, but okay. My son always said that he'd always looked at the sky for writing when I'd laugh. Because you know how she writes? Yeah. Surrender, Dorothy. Whatever. Fuck off. Almost from the moment Lavinia died, several citizens began claiming they were seeing her standing at a window staring at the grounds below. As it turns out, that window was located in the cell where she was housed after her escape attempt. When the earthquake struck in 1886, the entire fourth floor of the jail collapsed in. Some say that is what released Lavinia's spirit from the premises and allowed her to roam around town once again. These same people say that when her ghost is spotted, she's out looking for more victims to take advantage of. These tales give credence to the claims of John and Lavinia Fisher murdering weary travelers as they pass through Charleston. However, there's another version of their story that implies this one is just a legend with very little truth. Okay, let me get to that one. This did you just mimic me again? I Maybe. talk with my hands, dickhead. I know you do talk with your hands all the time. <laughs> you know, I used to just have to go do the sign language for no. I, actually, I just have to snap my fingers to get my son's attention across the room. <laughs> do the sign language for no. And then, like, 
rub, you know, like like stop it, cut it out, uh-huh. and he would just look at me and go, it's like <laughs> that's right, because my son knew he knew that snap anywhere. Yeah, shut up, <laughs> and it wasn't the snap of a rubber glove, Scott. This I was version, just trying to relax. <laughs> this part two version of the Fisher story starts off the same as the last. However, there's very little that the two have. I mean, there's some things that they have in common, but, you know. For instance, Lavinia was born sometime in, 19, in 1793. She did marry John Fisher sometime during the early 1800s. The two of them did own and operate the Six Mile Wafer house prior to 1819. And that's one of the, com- those are some of the most common threads between these two tales. Don't get me wrong. During that time, Charleston was getting reports about travelers who had gone missing. However, when in comparison to the reports from other places all across the nation, the numbers were, sig- were not significantly different. In other words, the city's number of missing people weren't much lower or higher than other towns of equal size. Okay. You know? Fair enough. Yeah. What Charleston was experiencing outside the norm was an increase in robberies. Several reports were coming in about a gang of thieves targeting travelers when they were when they left the city or were they arriving to the city. Some people who lived close to the city limits were even reporting that they were being robbed as well. Their houses were being robbed. Now, as more and more robberies were reported, the residents of Charleston became angry. It got to a point where they gathered a mob to follow those theft claims. The leads took them straight to the door of a hotel located a few miles outside of town, but not the one that belonged to the Fishers. Once the angry mob arrived, they attempted to get the owners to come out so that they could search the premises. When the owners refused, the crowd proceeded to burn the hotel down. When the ho- went the hotel burning, the mob kept going until they reached the six-mile wayfarer house. When they arrived there, they again threatened to burn down the establishment. After the, Fisher, uh, after the Fishers heard the crowd's demands, they promptly evacuated the building. The mom made sure everyone had vacated the house before they left David Ross there alone. He was there to search for stolen items and make sure nobody tried to return for anything. According to this version of the story, Six Mile Wafer House truly might not have been a hotel to begin with. It may just have been a front for the area outlaws to hide out. Uh, These outlaws included the gang of thieves, of which the Fishers were members. After the angry mob left David Ross at the house, the thieves doubled back when the sun went down and attacked the watchman. He managed to get it away and make it back to town. Although I haven't been able to find it yet, I heard there's an article written in the February 22nd, 1819 edition of the Charleston Courier. You know, the day my mom was born, February 22nd, 1819. Just kidding. She wasn't born then. That hot mama. Mm. Yeah, you're right. She was just, Jesus was a senior when my mom was a freshman. So you're right. It wasn't 1819. It was like 19 BC. (laughs) According to this article, the next day after David was assaulted, John Peoples was traveling down the road headed for Charleston. And then along the way, he was ambushed by the Fisher's gang of thieves. They brutally assaulted him and robbed him of every valuable he had on his person. After the gang left Peoples on the side of the road, he managed to get up, make his way to town, and upon arriving, he headed straight to the sheriff, who had just learned what happened to David. 
Now, when the sheriff heard what happened to Peoples, what Peoples had to say, he formed an armed posse and led them out to the six-mile Wayfarer house. As the posse rode up, they quickly surrounded the building and determined that the fisher demanded that the fishers come out and surrender. When the posse arrived at the house, John, Lavinia, and three other individuals were armed to the teeth. As a matter of fact, between all five of them, they had at least 12 muskets on hand. And even so, they also realized that they were greatly outnumbered. (laughs) Weighing their odds, they quickly determined they had no way out and chose to surrender instead. Upon exiting the building, the Fishers and their three cohorts were promptly arrested and charged for the robberies. However, they were never charged for murder since the posse didn't find any bodies hidden under the house. According to this version of the story, they were also never located any trapdoors or oleander in the teeth. Now, the authorities did manage to find a plethora of items that people had reported stolen. After the search was complete, the sheriff didn't want to take any chances of more outlaws taking over the establishment, so he ordered a fire to be set to the house. Um, After that arrest, the Fishers were facing charges for, quote, assault with the intent to murder. However, before they went on trial, the charges were changed to highway robbery, which back then was also a capital crime. Therefore, like murder, the offender would hang for the crime. There's more to this version that resembles the previous one, such as after John and Lydavinia were found guilty, they both tried to appeal their sentence and their appeals were rejected. John and Lavinia did attempt to break out of jail. However, in this version, when the sheets came apart, John refused to leave his wife behind, so he just walked back into the jail and turned himself in, which would make him a gentleman. And it's... Um, in the days and months leading up to the execution of John and Lavinia, the pair wrote many letters to the governor asking for them for him to stay their execution. According to this version, some townspeople joined the, quote, free the Fishers bandwagon. It's my term, not theirs. And wrote their own letters. By the day of their execution, in February, of 19, uh, February 1820, John and Lavinia had become Charleston celebrities. Several of the residents living in the area felt hanging was not a fit punishment for the Fishers' crimes. You know, they weren't internet famous back then. (laughs) Are you okay? Cramp. Same leg. Ow, dude. They felt it was much too hard. You that balm on it. That's what I use when my legs cramp. I put some biofreeze on it. Oh, okay. Uh, They felt it was too harsh, especially if the governor followed through and actually had Lavinia hanged. This public opinion was based on one fact when it came to the state of South Carolina. Up until that point, no woman had been executed executed on the gallows. Lavinia would be the first for any crime. Okay? When everyone first began sending the governor their letters, they thought their pleas were working. Their optimism increased when he chose to delay the execution of the Fishers for approximately two weeks. Lavinia herself began to believe the governor's delayed the execution because he was seriously considering pardoning her. If not, she for sure thought he would overturn her death sentence. However, all her hopes were dashed when the carriage arrived at Old City Jail to take her and her husband to the gallows. Although the first version states that she asked to wear her wedding dress to the gallows, this version says that didn't even happen. It also implies she, she didn't even have a wedding dress, Okay, which some women didn't back then. I have a wedding dress. I know you do, Scott. Fabulous. You do look fabulous in it, especially when you let me do your makeup. Because I'm super duper pooper trooper. Yeah, well, you know, get a little blush on them pale ass cheeks. Makes a world of difference. Then I look like a Barbie doll. She is not even that pretty. 
but I am. Meow. You're right, more like a cabbage patch. Let's go meow. I'm, I fucking hate you. I'm almost done. I think. Oh, yeah. Almost. Um, let's see here. According to supporting reports, she calmly and peacefully climbed into the carriage next to John and rode with him to the execution site. It was after Lavinia arrived at the location of the gallows that she began to struggle. The guards had to drag her up the stairs because she wanted to keep declaring her innocence to the gathering crowd. This account states that she didn't start cursing until she realized the governor wasn't going to pardon her. That's when she aimed a few choice words in his direction. Another difference between the two versions is that this one says Lavinia didn't jump off the side of the scaffolding rather than letting the trapdoor spring. Also, even though both tales didn't differ in what she spoke as her last words, this version gives an alternative motive. Apparently, the words were spoken directly to the governor instead of the, ev- instead of the evil she, was supposed to be- she supposedly personified. Now, I must say, most historians believe this version is a truer version. Before you decide which one you think is accurate, let me try to give you a reason for the variation. Why are there still countless people out there who think she is, in fact, the first female serial killer in American history? Now, I can't stress enough about how much speculation surrounds the origin of origin of many of the Lavinia Fisher legends. How does a woman go from a thieving gang member to a cold-blooded murderer? I mean, they're not even really, I mean, somebody who takes from the, you know, robs their fucking possessions is all of a sudden a killer. You know, it's like, where is the correlation here? Uh, Dude, dude, you don't remember the fucking grave robber story that we just did a couple of weeks ago? The, what was it? Oh, fuck, goddammit. Burke and Hare? Yeah. They were getting people into their freaking... Uh, but they were robbing their shit and killing them and then turning the body like they had the trifecta going on. Murder, yeah, but there wasn't rob, like a huge so. legend surrounding it. That's what I'm trying to get at. Because they were sneaky. Because people are trying to say that, okay, she was only a highway robber. Then it's like, where did these tales of her being a cold blooded killer come in? You know, how did every woman is? <sighs> you make me want to kill you. My God, how? I'm sweet and innocent. That doesn't even sound innocent. I'm over here minding my own business. Yeah, ignoring me. Reading my Bible, praying to Jesus, and what do you do? God. Scott. So mean to me. What? His name was Jesus, and he was your gardener. He's a good gardener. (laughs) Sometimes you got to pray to him. Please, Jesus. Okay. Make sure you do the edging. Anyways, according to historians, her story slowly evolved over the decades simply because of the circumstances that surrounded her case. The fact remains, Lavinia Fisher was the very first woman that the city of Charleston and the whole state of South Carolina had ever hung for a crime. Not to mention, during that era, it was practically unheard of for a woman to be executed anywhere in the country. Was she well hung? Don't get me wrong. Female hangings did occur. However, up until then, it only happened if she killed someone. Another possibility for the variations could be due to the publicity Lavinia's case received during the time period. Heck, it didn't even, it might even be the first game of telephone, remember that game? Yep. Ever played. As we all know, with that game, small details are changed down the line until a completely different story emerges. If that's the case, it's easy to see where the confusion came in. 
if someone wasn't really familiar with the case or the real details, it's not hard to see them jumping to the conclusion that she was also a killer. Then, when the sheriff burned the building to the ground, there was no way to debunk the claims about trapdoors and human remains. Um, we all know how rumors and whisperings can be construed as fact over time. When you add possible ghost sightings to the mix, they take off like wildfire because nothing is more intriguing than paranormal shit. That is true. I mean, you and I both talked about this. That's why I call Ghostbusters as, as often as I can. I seriously want to go to our old city jail because I hear people get scratched and everything there. I would Sweet. love to be attacked by a ghost. You just don't even know. Well, you got to be attacked by something besides another Sasquatch. Or a bald white man. <laughs> as far as the reports that say apparitions of Lavinia seen staring out the window before the 1886 earthquake are practically impossible to validate, it's even believed that people made up the sightings after the earthquake to make the alleged sightings more credible. Let's also not forget our history lessons in school. The late 1800s was the height of the spiritualism boom here in the United States. Nearly the entire nation believed in the paranormal. With that in mind, it's not hard to fathom how people would completely believe an apparition of a woman was in fact the country's first female serial killer. I mean, because... This was around the same time when um, the Winchester Mansion yeah, and shit, that. you know, where people were consulting psychics and spiritualists and, you know, because that was like, oh, I need to contact the other side and, you know. Right, right, right. Whatever. Um, the first time people started to report seeing the apparition of Lavinia floating around Old City Jail wearing her white wedding dress came after the tales of the legend sprang up. There have also been reports of Lavinia's ghost roaming the grounds of the Unitarian Cemetery in Charleston because they say she's buried there. However, in reality, since she was hang since she was hanged at the jail, she would have been buried at the Potter's Field located in the vicinity of the facility. She was just over there visiting old friends. Yeah. So there is no Pro, there is no provable explanation for her spirits who wander the area around Unitarian Cemetery. Historians believe that the apparition sightings and the stories about Lavinia being a cold-blooded serial killer have fallen victim to the rumor mill cycle. They theorize that it goes something like this. One, someone will report a sighting and in the process twist Lavinia's truth to support their claim. Then... Two, it gets to a point over time that the media picks up on the bizarre twists and reports them as fact. These stories, in turn, spark more sightings from others, and then the cycle is repeated. Wash, rinse, repeat. What the fuck are you doing? I have a flower. He blew him. I have no words, Scott. You are such a fucking child. Are you 48 or are you four? Yes. Both? Yes. I'm telling you. I stuffed uh, some tissues up my nose and I just blew them out like rockets. The only thing that would have made that worse is if you would have done straws or chopsticks like a fucking (laughs) walrus. Like when when we were kids, remember doing that? (laughs) Do you snort pixie sticks too, Scott? Maybe. I love her. I'm still going to beat her ass, but I love her. I will do it with love. You know what? I tried snorting pixie six once, but it was not fun. 
That was back in my stupid days. Okay. Now, magazines and newspapers around South Carolina, such as the Yorkville Inquirer, Inquirer, Inquirer? were printing stories saying Lavinia was a serial killer by 1922. That was more than 100 years after she was executed for her crime. Wait a minute. I was going to say... She died way before 1942. How did she 1922. Make it, how did she get to 1922 and become a serial killer after that? I'm just saying. <laughs> That's when the story started gaining tread, you know, traction. Oh, okay. When the articles were first printed, they were starting they were stating that there were just upwards of 20 victims remains discovered in the basement of the house. Now, it's been over 200 years since Lavinia was hanged was hanged, and tour guides on ghost tours and paranormal excursions around Charleston are claiming that more than a hundred bodies were uncovered. As a matter of fact, none of the newspaper articles from around that time seem to indicate even one body was found under the house. Now, in reality, it's only been within the last decade or so that researchers have begun to get the facts out to the public. Apparently, in 2010, Bruce Orr authored a book titled Six Miles to Charleston, The True Story of John and Lavinia Fisher. That book claims to be written using, I am, I must have wrote this drunk or stoned. Well, there's a shocker. No, because my, I'm like looking at all the typos. I'm like, how the fuck did that happen? <laughs> that book claims to be written using court documents and printed newspaper reports from that era to disprove large portions of the John and Lavinia Fisher legends. The fact remains, John and Lavinia Fisher were a couple of shady individuals. They were involved with a group of people that had no problem relieving weary travelers of their valuables. They also apparently used any means necessary. Did those means include murder? What do you believe? Yes. See, because, and like I said, sometimes I do these because, like, when we did Elizabeth Bathory, it's like you have legend, you have fact, and then you have probably a mixture of both that's probably more reality. Hold on, let's find out. Let's ask the Magic 8 Ball. Scott, that is your pepper sauce. Hmm. The pepper say, yes. You know, I'm, you know, I'm just saying that, you know, and then I was like, do you believe that there is any fact to the legends or do you think the media was accurate in their reportings? You know, there's always a little fact to every legend. I kind of go probability and possibility as always. Right. But there's both in this one. I think that it's possible that this psycho fucking ghost is fucking people up. That's just me, though. I mean, some people are like, he's fucking crazy. There's no. Oh, no, I believe in paranormal shit like that. But yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's definitely possible. I also believe it's possible and maybe even probable that they did kill people. Well, shit, shit. Well, think about it. Think about it. What's the easiest way to steal from somebody? To kill them. And not get caught? Yeah. If they're dead, where, who are they going to fucking tell? Like, really? Well, yeah, because not only then, it's like all these people that they supposedly stole from. And yes, if there are robberies and shit being reported, unless they were very well disguised, wouldn't they recognize, hey, that's John and Lavinia from the Wafer house? Even if they are well disguised, they'd be like, oh, hey, Everybody knew that's Billy the fake kid glasses and a fake nose. That looks like John. That's and John a mustache. Fisher. You didn't have a mustache, Lavinia. Yeah. Bitch, get that off. Get that off of you. You're not a Sasquatch. Get that mustache off of you, God damn it. That's we have beards, fuckers. <laughs> Bearded clam. 
anyways, no, but like I said, loose knuckles. There are. I mean, like I said, I don't know because I wasn't born back then. I should ask my mom. <laughs> that sweet angel was not born back then. Anywho, um, but at the same time, it's like I kind of believe a little bit of both of them. No, I do too. Yeah, you know, because it is highly probable that they <laughs> did kill somebody. Yeah, no, I. I, I mean, <clears throat> Billy the Kid did. Jesse James did. I think they did because, like I said, the the best way. Not to get caught. Mm-hmm. If you're going to steal, kill the victim. They're yeah. not making a police report after that. They're not going down to the marshal's office or the sheriff's True. office and saying, hey, I was staying over See, at the Fishers. And, and my whole thing is, if there wasn't anything more shady, why would they just burn that place down? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, somebody else might like take up on it. But, I mean, even if you burn it down, somebody can always fucking rebuild. Yeah, so we will like, rebuild. You know, I think that there's some credence to why did they burn it down? You know? Yeah. But, I Come mean, because that was back in the time, too, that, you know, they burned shit to try to get rid of evil spirits and everything. We're not supposed to do that now? No, Scott, I am not a witch. Well, no, I'm just, I'm thinking my buddy Craig is having... He's having some issues. issues, and he said that there's an evil coming out from him. We might, actually... <laughs> this is pleasing me to no end that he's saying this shit to you. We we might have to burn his house down. I'm just saying. <laughs> Well, we have. Do we have to burn his house down after he releases the kraken? Yeah, just to just to you know keep the the, the to get rid of the evil spirits. I'm gonna go get him some sage, and I still have a sage stick at home that I got in New Orleans. He he probably really needs one. Oh, that's what he needs. He needs some of my goddamn super day of the dead hot sauce. I'll get rid of any evil spirits in a hurry. Don't kill the poor man. <laughs> I like him. He's a nice guy. I, I do. I would do it out of love. I love Craig, man. He's awesome. He's awesome. <laughs> yeah, keep going. I'm just Oh, uh, no, I'm I got nothing else. What else you got no, for me No, that's about all I have, you know. But, you know, like you said, some people have, I mean, because even my son goes, if you're doing your podcast on serial killers, why are you even bringing it up if it's not true? I say, because I don't know if it's true or not. And B, sometimes I do bring them up because they are on our list, and I'd like to let people know the truth, like Ed Gein. And, exactly. You know? Exactly. Because we're not here to just blow smoke up your ass. We try to find out what we can. No, you got to pay extra for that in Thailand. That's Well, with me too, buddy. No, only Thailand. Only Thailand. You do it for free. I do. I do. You do it just for the just for the smokiness, just for the fun of it. <laughs> I'm loving it. No, oh, Jesus okay, Christ! I'm God done. Damn. All right, remember you can send us an email at brutalnation at twistedbluellc.com. Check out, check us out on Medium, Crime Beat. That's on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs from, just search at Brutal Nation. Uh, what else? Oh, check out the website at www.brutalnationllc.com. Twistedbluellc.com. Oh, Jesus Christ. That's like the third time you've done this. My brain's just out of it, and it has been the last couple of days. Not my fault. No, drugs. This show is copyright 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights reserved, and we will talk to you guys tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.